Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ and welcome to Christ Church of Livingston County Teaching Ministry. Christ Church is a member of the Communion of Reformed Evangelical Churches, Tyndale Presbytery. The following audio recording is from a Covenant Renewal Liturgy at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. Let's turn to John chapter 20. This past Friday at our Good Friday service, we read John 18 and 19 in its entirety throughout the service. We'll stick with the Gospel of John for the resurrection account today. John chapter 20, the first 20 verses. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for this word, for a sure account and testimony of the events of Good Friday and Resurrection morning. Help us, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, who inspired these words, uh, to be moved to believe them, to understand what they mean for us, uh, to understand what you have done and are doing and will do uh, with your world, uh, with our own lives and bodies. All this we ask for in Christ's name. Amen. John 20. Now, the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter, therefore, went out and the other disciple and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen cloths lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there, and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who came to the tomb first, went in also, and he saw And believed. For as yet they did not know the scripture, that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their own homes. But Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary, She turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. 
And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. The grass withers, the flower fades, but this word of God stands forever. And God's people said, Amen. This resurrection account is fascinating in all of its detail. So we're going to consider first the resurrection of Christ, how it disrupts our lives, but brings peace in the end. So the resurrection disrupts our lives in a way. The resurrection was, to the disciples, unexpected. And we know it shouldn't have been, right? Jesus told ahead of time what was going to happen. But they did not, either could not or did not believe. Mary goes to the tomb on on Sunday morning to finish the burial process that was interrupted by the Sabbath. She is expecting to wrap up an orderly burial process. That's why she comes with spices right after the Sabbath. But her life is upended and disrupted. She's upset that the body is gone and assumes someone took the body. We often overlook this fact and and just uh, kind of in our minds we think they came to the empty tomb and praise the Lord, he's risen, and immediately believe. That's not the way John writes the account. She runs all the way back into town and tells Peter and John, somebody took the body. She's uh, upset. You know, when someone dies, we often talk about closure, right? This is the opposite of closure. (laughs) A hasty half-burial by strangers Friday afternoon, and now the body's gone. This is the opposite of closure. She runs to Peter and John. John is the other disciple. He's the one who's writing. Uh, And Mary's report, again, is not of a resurrection, but of a grave robbery. Peter and John are also upset. They run out of the city to the tomb. And this is where it gets interesting. The report John gives is intensely first person and personal uh, to the point of being funny, right? They end up running. It's a foot race. John has to point out a couple times in a couple verses that he won the race. It's fascinating. He forgets to mention Mary during the race, but she's following them back. We see she's there in verse 11. So you see there are different personalities when Don, John uh, doesn't just go into the tomb right away, right? Peter comes and he barges into the tomb. John's more timid, maybe more sensitive to respecting the dead. They're confused. He writes that in too. They assume someone moved the body, but the cloths show that can't be. Robbers would have taken the linen too. They wouldn't have paused to fold the cloth, Right? There's all kinds of detail in here that make the report uh, real, authentic. Uh, So the resurrection was unexpected, but it's also real. Peter paces back, puzzling. Right? And verse 9 says, John says, we didn't get it. None of us expected the resurrection. Uh, So, uh, again, Jesus had told them this was going to happen. But death has a way of overpowering us. Not just physically, but mentally. Crowding out all other thoughts. So all these awkward details, they emphasize the reality of this report. John was there. He reports what he remembers. The text hasn't been airbrushed over the centuries. That's something important about the reality of the resurrection. And John believes. I think it's verse 8. He believes when he goes in. And it dawns on him that Jesus is alive. I think that must have been a very interesting walk back into the city. Peter hadn't figured it out yet. He's still puzzling it out. John believed when he was in the tomb. 
you wonder if there was some kind of persuasion going on there. Peter, John's trying to convince him on the walk back maybe. Do you realize what happened? And Peter just, he can't, he can't come to that moment of faith yet. So this resurrection after the death of Jesus, this is the main thing. If you don't believe this empty tomb, this living Jesus, then you don't have Christianity. That's what 1 Corinthians 15 tells us. We are most to be pitied for believing a lie, for lying about God. I, I always find that part fascinating, how Paul puts that in there. We're, we're making God out to be a liar because we're saying God has said this, and if it's not true, it's, it's quite striking. So all this talk, all this preaching would be pointless if the resurrection didn't happen. Your faith, useless. Your forgiveness, a fake feeling if the resurrection is not reality. So uh, John comes to believe that in that faith. Uh, the world likes to talk about faith generally. Uh, our political leaders like to talk that way. Uh, I remember years ago, Prince Charles uh, spoke. He, he said that if he ever came to the throne, he would want to change the title Defender of the Faith. And he would want to take out the word the. I just want to be the defender of faith, not of the faith. Isn't that fascinating? That's what secular people today want to do. They want to talk in nice tones about faith generally. No, the point isn't to have faith in something, anything. That, that kind of faith won't help you cope with life. No, now Christ is risen from the dead. That's what we have faith in, in that person, Jesus. The point is to acknowledge the reality of the resurrection of Christ, to submit to him as the Lord of the universe, to trust that his death and resurrection atone for your sins, justify, resurrect you to new life before God. It, it, it's a unique thing about Christianity among all the religions around in the world. Jesus is the one and only living founder of a world religion. Joseph Smith is dead. Buddha is dead. Muhammad is dead. None of them claim to be alive. But Jesus is and he's reigning on his throne. So the resurrection is unexpected, and it's real. And so Jesus comes to us. And that's the second half of the text today. We have that real report of the resurrection in the first ten verses. But then we left Peter and John walking home, and Mary at the tomb, verse 11, weeping. She looks in, sees two angels, one at the head, the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. So that's what Mary sees when she looks in. And here, I, I've got another remez for you, another, another hint. I'm trying to keep my streak going here. So here's a, a remez, a hint to the Old Testament, not a quote, not even an action, like on Palm Sunday, right? Jesus just gets on a donkey, and that's, he's pointing to Zechariah, but not by even saying it. But here we have kind of a picture, right? We have a, a hint of the ark. The Ark of the Covenant, we read in Exodus 25. Make an ark and, and make a cher cherubim on each end. One end, other end. And here you see John writes that detail right into here. The angels and other uh, gospel writers mention two angels as well standing by the tomb. But John makes this ark point. And, it, and it's quite clear, I think. One at the head, one at the feet. Kids, you have uh, the coloring page today. You have a, a little picture of that, maybe the, the slab of stone we often picture that's partially depicted in that coloring page today. The point is that the ark is pictured there. 
and think about that. John's uh, theology and his pictures like this are extremely rich. It, it bears repeated readings over and over. Uh, what is going on here? This, the ark, this is where God meets with Israel. We read it in Exodus 25, 22. It's the most holy space on earth until Jesus came. This is where I meet with you, in the temple, in the Holy of Holies, at the ark, above the ark, between the cherubim. That's where the body of Jesus was, as these two angels appear. That Jesus' body is the new temple, he says in John 2. So you have this, notice what John is doing now. The tomb is where this ark is. And the tomb is to be left behind. Right? It's as if the angels on the ark, those two cherubim, come alive and turn and look at Mary and speak and say, what are you doing here? God isn't between the cherubim anymore. He isn't here. Jesus, the God of Israel, was always enthroned between the cherubim. And for centuries, God's people would take the atonement day blood into the ark and sprinkle blood on the covering of the mercy seat. But now, Jesus stands alive, walks out of the temple, out of the tomb. The temple veil is ripped, and Jesus stands and goes to Mary. She's looking in the wrong place. Don't look in a tomb. Don't look in the temple. Look to Jesus. It's astounding all that John gets uh, said, I think, alluded to in that little picture. Life is not in there anymore. Life is not in the temple anymore, but in Jesus Christ. It's extremely provocative to the Jew who did not believe in Jesus. You want to talk about some rather in-your-face evangelism? This is it. Your temple is dead now. Jesus is the new temple. It's astounding what Jesus does here. And he comes out of that tomb, comes to Mary takes the time to speak to her, waits for her to see, to see who he is. Why are you weeping? It's probably another Rimez with that gardener thing, right? That Adam was the original gardener. Jesus is now uh, the true gardener. But why are you weeping? And of course, from one point of view, Mary has a perfectly good explanation why she's weeping. Mary has had grief upon grief. Not only the death of her Lord, but then she thinks the body's stolen. She doesn't yet know. It hasn't dawned on her what has happened. And so she's got this grief of thinking the body is stolen, too. It reminds me of um, Lion, the Witch, in the Wardrobe in C.S. Lewis's classic book, when the, the girls are at the stone table uh, after Aslan's been killed. Then a whole bunch of mice come up, and they start eating away at the ropes that had bound Aslan. And the girls are just so upset by that. Oh, now, now there's a bunch of mice on his body. And they're, ah, this is even worse. But it actually wasn't, right? The mice were doing honor to the body of Aslan and bringing about the resurrection. Not, not the mice themselves, but uh, loosing those bonds. So Mary has grief upon grief, not seeing that the resurrection is right in front of her. Why is she blind like this? Why are we so blind sometimes? I want to focus on that for a couple of moments. There's either a supernatural reason or there may be physical reason. Maybe her physical tears are um, obscuring her sight or her assumptions are preventing it. 
right? Generally, those three reasons, it's the same for us. How many times is the risen Lord obscured in our vision when times are hard? And it can be for the same three reasons. One, we can have bad assumptions that prevent us from seeing him. We're thinking wrong. God must be absent if things are going so badly. Bad assumption. Jesus took my sin away at the cross, but he isn't alive and powerful to set this problem right. Bad assumption. Right? Our thinking can be wrong. Or second, maybe we can't see Jesus for some physical reason. Sometimes we get depressed for physical reasons. Or we're so excited and jubilant about some earthly thing that we've lost sight of our Lord. Or we're overwhelmed with grief, like Mary was. And there's some physical thing going on that gets in our way of seeing Jesus. And the third reason that maybe we can't see Jesus is the supernatural one. Maybe God is just withholding a sense of his presence from us for a while. That, that, that happens. The Westminster Catechism even speaks of that. It speaks of God withdrawing the light of his countenance and letting believers walk in darkness for a while. We don't talk about that too often, especially not on Easter. But that's real. And it's something that in the response to the resurrection, John depicts in detail here in Mary, just to give us so much comfort to realize that this response is so realistic. It's a response that we all have. Our assurance can be shaken, our faith weak. We can be slow to see God or to see what he's doing. But if we're having a hard time seeing Jesus, rejoicing in the resurrection of Christ, consider these three things. Are you thinking wrongly? Is it bad assumptions? Is it bad diet or sleep or chemical imbalance or grief or joy in the wrong things? Or is it just that God is taking you through a valley right now? Whatever it is, in the end, God will bring you to see Jesus and worship him. Jesus, in verse 15, is it? 16. Jesus finally says her name. And this breaks the blindness. And she sees him. I, I think John is making the point here that God has to do this. It's not that Mary can just work hard enough at it, at it and then finally she'll see Jesus. God has to break that blindness for us. Say our name. Cause us to see him. And he does. So Jesus comes out of the tomb to us. There's blindness that we have, but he brings it about. And then there's things to do. That's the next point here. Uh, Verse 17 and 18 are much debated. Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. What does this mean? Uh, Usually we think it means something like, don't touch me because there's something magical about my body right now between the resurrection and the ascension. I don't think that can be right because the very next week Jesus invites Thomas to touch his scars and, and his uh, nail prints in his side. So it, it's not like nobody could touch Jesus for 40 days. And I don't think it's also, another way to look at it is, don't get too attached to my physical body. Right? I'll, I'll be gone again soon. Well, maybe, except that he doesn't ascend for 40 more days. And again, he invites Thomas and the other disciples to focus on his physical body to believe. So that's not what that means, don't cling to my body. I, I think Horatius Bonar gets it right. He was a great Scottish minister of 150 years ago, hymn writer too. 
He puts it this way. In your joy at seeing me alive again, don't forget that there is more to do. Don't, Don't cling to me and just stay here. There's more to do. It isn't time to just keep this between you and me, Mary. This is a precious moment in the garden. Peter and John have left. Mary's weeping. Jesus appears. It's an astounding moment. It is something to cherish. But we can't just stay there. There's things to do. You need to go. Verse 18. Verse 17, towards the end. Do not cling to me, but go to my brethren and say to them. There's things to do. We have a mission to go and announce the news, to make disciples. And what needs to be said? Well, that he's alive, obviously. But Jesus goes the next step in verse uh, 17. Tell them I am ascending. I love that verse. Jesus, he does the holiday mashup like I like to do. Right? On resurrection morning... What's he talking about? Ascension Day. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Why does he do that? The resurrection, it doesn't mean much without the ascension and reign of Jesus. Those holidays all have to be together. Jesus isn't just alive to ease Mary's grief. It's not just that I have my friend back from the dead. Right? Jesus is alive to bring us to God. That's what the resurrection does. It's justification. End of Romans chapter 4. I go up to my Father and yours. I go up to my God and yours. Christ is our brother. He's our flesh and blood. His heart beats as yours does. It beats for you right now as he sits on the throne of the universe. That's what needs to be said. Go tell my disciples. There are things to do. Resurrection gives us a mission to disciple the nations, our neighbors, our families, for Christ. And sometimes that mission is very mundane. It wasn't for Mary that day, right? She gets to go to the apostles and tell them. Wow. But our mission often is mundane. It means making another meal for the kids, getting back to work after break time, driving to another school day, The big goal is to tell the world about Jesus and to use your days and your dollars and your energy well for him. That's the mission. So Jesus comes out, uh, he makes himself known to Mary, gives her, reminds her what there is to do. And then uh, added in verse 19 and 20, which happens in the evening. Since we don't do an evening service, I thought I'd hint at this a little bit too. When Jesus does come in the evening of the same day to the disciples, he says, peace be with you. Their their doors are locked uh, for fear of the Jews. So the disciples here, uh, notice this is probably after Mary has given the report. So think that through a little bit, right? Does John believe in the resurrection at this point? If he does, it seems like he's probably the only one yet. Right? Mary has told them all that she saw Jesus, but their, their door is still shut and locked for fear of the Jews. Fascinating. What, what are they thinking right then? It seems they're still fearful of the Jews, though they had heard the news. The disciples are the ones who had locked the door. They're protecting themselves from the soldiers, from the Sanhedrin. There's, there's a great deal of fear there. A great deal of fear. In the last couple of years in our world, we've realized the intense fear of death that people have. 
that will make us do crazy things. Fear of death is one of the things that rules people in an ungodly, diabolical way. But each of us has various fears, even as believers. What is it that we're afraid of? What makes you lock the doors of your house? What fears make you lock the gates of your heart? They're, they're fearful. And Jesus comes and he appears and his first word is shalom. Peace. Peace is their main need. Jesus is alive to bring us peace. No doors will prevent him, no locks, no nails, no cross, no tombstone, not death itself can keep Jesus from bringing you peace. He comes to John in Revelation 1 and says, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead, and now I am alive forevermore. John had fallen at his feet as though dead, afraid. So when providing for your family comes hard and you aren't sure where the money will come from next month, remember that Christ is risen. There is peace. When that besetting sin keeps coming back, Christ is risen. When the pain of grief won't go away and you long for your loved ones back, Christ is risen and he will raise us up with him. He came back from the dead, conquering it. Do you really think he can't fix your situation? So Jesus is alive, and he's alive to give us gladness. The end of the passage, verse 20. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And we get, when we gather for, the, for worship on the first day of the week, Jesus is present with us, and we are glad. Easter is uh, one of my favorite times when we sing. I, I noticed it again today. The singing was just a bit more vigorous than usual. It, it's resurrection day. It's an expression of our gladness. That's what we're doing here. Jesus is here with us, and we're expressing our gladness in his presence. What is preventing your joy? There's always something, isn't there, that holds us back a bit. But I'll go to Narnia again for the conclusion here. When Aslan comes back, resurrected, at the stone table, and he sees the girls for the first time, one of the very first things he says to them and what he says to you today is, you do not yet look as happy as I mean you to be. The resurrection of Christ brings gladness. It disrupts our lives, but he brings peace and gladness in the end. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, your word is true. And your testimony is reliable of what you have done in the life of Jesus Christ and what that means for us. And you have not only brought him back from the dead, you have made us to pass over from death to life. Lord, let us realize that, sense that, and give you glory and express our gladness in this hour of worship. We thank you that you provide us ways to do that, to pray, to sing, to praise, to eat and to drink. To, and to gather and to fellowship with one another. We ask, Lord, as we do all these things, that we would remember the resurrection, that we would uh, glory, that we would revel in the new life you have given to us. 
All these things we pray in the name of Jesus, the ever-living word, and we sing as he taught us to pray. for the communion exhortation. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained, and so that they did not know him. And he said to them, What kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? So they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came, saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone farther. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. And now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. And then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road, and while he opened the scriptures to us? So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem, and found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed. And has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that, they had, that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Thus far, the reading of God's word. We have this, in this familiar passage the same pattern of the disciples, not realizing the reality of the resurrection yet, even though Jesus is right there. They're sad and dejected, but Jesus is alive and active. And he sets the pattern we follow today. On the first day of the week, he opens the scriptures and preaches the word concerning himself. And then he breaks bread with us, making himself known to us more fully. Word and sacrament, administered by our Lord himself on the first resurrection, Lord's Day. It's my earnest prayer for each of us that we open the scriptures together, that our hearts burn within us that as we commune with Christ in the breaking of the bread, that our eyes would be opened and that we would know him, even though he has vanished from our sight. Thank you for listening to this audio recording from Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in this recording, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, 
or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact us through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I.com. Again, thank you and blessings.